Welcome to the Community Podcast, brought to you by the Community Paper. Since 1989, the Community Paper has been sharing good news happening in downtown Orlando and College Park. Your hosts for the show are Orlando native and the paper's publisher, Debbie Gunter, and Orlando transplant and managing editor, Tommy Cardinal. Welcome to the Community Podcast. It's the 25th and we're finishing up the latest edition of the Community Paper. And uh, what are some of the things that'll be in it this month, Debbie? Well, one of the things that I can't wait to share with our readers is the CP interview that you did with Pamela Schwartz at the History Center. And for those of you who don't know, every month we interview a high-profile person in Orlando, sometimes a politician, sports figure, local community leaders, business owners who people know. And we just want to like get to know more about them on a personal level, get to know a little bit about what brought them into their position and, um, you know, kind of what sparked that interest. Yeah. So I like to explain it as like getting to know the person behind the title. Yes. So everybody knows um, that the Orange County Regional History Center has a chief curator, but we don't know anything about that person. All right. Like what brought her to that position? Did she always love history? You know, what, what got her there? So one of my favorite things from the interview was learning how, how she originally got into history was she was in high school and her bus driver asked if she was an art student. And she was like, yeah, I am an art student. And he was like, will you help me with this project I'm working on? And she was like, what? Like, why is my bus driver asking about uh, doing art? Like, apparently he was a big uh, artist in the area and he did a bunch of designs for local companies through their signs and logos and all this. And he was tasked to do the school board meeting room. He asked Pamela, because she was an art student, if she wanted to help. And she was like, sure. The idea of the school board meeting room design was that it takes a community to raise a child. So the plan was to do like the history of the community that she was from. So she went to the local history center and looked up a bunch of old photographs and she just became engrossed in it ever since. Oh, wow. That's so cool. So, and she's been working in museums ever since. So did she get a college degree in history or? Well, she first, she, she told me that she didn't think that history was really like a viable career path. She never even thought of it. So she did public relations and she was doing a journalism class. And one of the projects was to interview somebody outside of your field. So she went to the history center or the museum on campus because she had experience working at a museum. And then as she was interviewing the education outreach person at the museum, they were like, yeah, so, uh, you know, we have an internship and, and she did the internship, but she finished up her public relations degree, and then she got another uh, master's in museum studies after that because she realized through that that she was like, her, her passion is storytelling, she told me, but she really liked the museum side of storytelling. So she did museum studies, and she still is doing it. And uh, she moved great. here in 2016 during 
the craziest year of Orlando history when Pulse happened and she came here and then they immediately like went off to document wow. it. So, I didn't know that was her first year. Wow. Yeah, she started in 2016 and I was like, what was it like to start and then immediately be thrown into doing documenting a tragedy like that? I can't wait to read her answers in the next paper. You have a clip, right, from her interview? Yeah, let's listen. When I first came, the idea was I'd come for three years, redesign this museum, and sail off into the sunset up to the next the next best thing. Mm. Um, but when Pulse happened, it basically put that that larger scale master planning uh, on on hold for a couple of years um, because of all of the different circumstances that sort of cascaded. Um, and Pulse was a, a big part of my first year here, um, getting to know this community and trying to do it at a time that was so deeply different than it had been just a year before or two years before or five years before. And so we really threw ourselves into that work. We felt a commitment and a responsibility to our community to preserve this moment with them and mm -hmm. for them. Um, both of those are important in the museum field is, is making sure that we're not doing things just for the community, but we're really doing it with and embracing the community through that. Uh, and then, Things just sort of kept happening. Um, you know, the next year, Hurricane Irma came. Of course, that had a, a, an impact in the community, but it impacted our collections facility. It tore through the roof, and we had water intrusion, and that was another unexpected blip <laughs> in, our, wow. in our circumstances. And so our staff, our incredible staff, just worked so hard for weeks to dry out all of the items, preserve those items, to clean up the spaces, to rebuild that the parts of the facility that had been damaged uh, or overseeing that. So those things happened. And then, you know, we become, after Pulse, so responsive to the community and the history as it's happening, this urgent response collecting, contemporary collecting, that things just kept coming at us. You know, so many museums are focusing on things that happened 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and we were just realizing we had to be responsive to the now with our community um, because those lived experiences that are happening relate always to something that's happening histor or has happened historically and making those connections. And so, uh, like you say, then we're kind of coming through that. We're getting ready to, to restart on the path to redesigning the whole museum with everything we've learned from those first few years, um, not only collecting around Pulse, dealing with a hurricane, but also the work we started doing of decolonizing our institution, which is going from a, a largely uh, white male populated narrative to one, that, again, that's more reflective of everybody's experience here, mm -hmm. and doing a lot of grassroots work with those individual communities to preserve their story. We can't tell their story if we haven't collected the story or the things with which to tell it. What else is going on in the community paper? So I thought we would touch on a few things from each of our coverage areas. Um, one really cool thing that's happening in College Park. I don't know if you've ever been to Hamburger Mary's to their drag queen bingo. I went to their brunch. Okay, it's so funny. So Lee Shannon um, performs there and has for years. He also has a wig store in Mills 50 area, and it's been there for 30 years, and he's moving that to College Park. And um, along with selling fun costumes and that sort of thing, he also sells real hair 
wigs. Um, a lot he has a lot of cancer patients that he makes wigs for, and and so he his mother died of cancer, and so it's just a real passion of his to help cancer patients feel beautiful, and so that's a big part of his business. Um, then he also you know provides costumes for the Russian ballet and um, church groups and just all all different types of um, costumes and. He's also, he has the craziest story. So he found out that his dad was in the Ku Klux Klan. He found out several years ago that he has a black sister that he didn't know about. And he's a drag queen. So how much more interesting could his life be? What a family. <laughs> I know. So he's writing a book, um, which should be very interesting and, and funny, I'm sure, because he's a funny guy. But he's also a great guy and um, is bringing his shop to College Park. So He's super excited about that, and they're having a grand opening um, in April, April 18th. Yeah, I went to the one in Mills. It's really fun to walk around, even if you're not in the market for a wig. Yeah. I, I wasn't looking for a wig, but it was fun to walk around and see everything. Yeah, I bet. So that's kind of cool. Um, and then north downtown area, um, Mills 50 District is getting its own beer. 1010 Brewing is partnering with Quantum Leap Winery, and they've created... A, a special Mills 50 beer that is just the right amount of unconventional. So I cannot wait to see what that means. They're going to be debuting that beer on National Drink a Beer Day. And when is that? April 7th. Okay, I just put it on my calendar. Yes, I can't wait to find out what that unconventional beer is going to taste like. I'm guessing like a sour beer. Yeah. Because that's sort of like in style. And it's definitely not conventional. It's been, have you ever had a sour beer? Is that like a, like a, um. It's literally sour. It's like you're drinking. Does it taste like apple? Like one of those ciders kind of? No, cider's sweet. But it's, it's like, and it, I don't think it has fruit in it. It's not like cranberry or anything, but it tastes like, it's really refreshing because it's like tangy. Huh. No, but it sounds like I would like it. It's good for a summer day, like, well, spring day. Like April 7th? Yes. What do you know? What's going on downtown? Well, I'm working on a story for downtown about um, filming in downtown Orlando because there's been a, in the past few months, there's been a couple TV shows that have been filmed in downtown Orlando, like um, David Makes Man was filmed in Eola Heights. And they closed off a, a, a couple streets right there in the heart of it, right there by Yola General. And uh, they were filming through the through a whole week in February. So I thought I'd do a story talking about um, how popular it is to film in downtown Orlando. And I talked to the Orlando Film Commissioner, who works with the Orlando Economic Partnership, and heard a history about filming in downtown Orlando and in like the 90s before the 90s they didn't have film incentives Mm -hmm. so she told me that orlando no i'm sorry florida new york and california were like the three most popular places to film because uh orlando i mean florida i keep doing that because florida and california it's the weather is perfect and new york is where all people who are talented move to and try to start their career and uh but then film incentives started coming and states like Georgia started mm. doing these incentives where 
you get a certain percentage tax break if you film in Georgia. Gotcha. And Florida doesn't have that. So Florida sort of started falling behind in filming movies and TV shows, but were still really popular in commercials because uh, she was telling me that Orlando has that Anywhere USA look. Mm -hmm. So even in the winter, it doesn't look snowy, so it could be anywhere in the world in in the summer. Plus, she was telling me about how there's such a wide variety of architectural styles. So it's like she was telling me that she tells political people, like if they want to shoot a thing, uh, shoot a campaign ad that's targeted towards Midwestern people, she can find somewhere in Orlando that looks Midwestern. Mm. And it was really interesting to hear about um, how commercials are really popular. And she was telling me how Disney and Universal having those two parks here attracts a lot of talent. So there's all the people that do the acting and stuff Mm -hmm. and Disney and Universal, and that's a big advantage too. Cool. I can't wait to read what else you found out. Yeah, it was really interesting. And then also South Downtown, did you hear about the One Pulse Foundation? They just uh, revealed their scholarship recipients. I did hear a little bit about that. Tell us more. So I thought it was really cool because they they have 49 scholarships that they give out. And, you know, Pulse, yep. there were 49 victims. And they're having every scholarship honoring one of the what one of the Pulse victims based on their interests. So, for example, they're given they gave a scholarship to somebody who's studying fire sciences to honor Corey Connell. Oh yeah, because he was an aspiring firefighter. Oh, what a great guy! That's wonderful. How'd you know him? So he went to Edgewater High School. He went to College Park schools growing up, um, and worked at Publix and College Park, and you know, just living in College Park. I. I got to know him. He was the same age as my daughter. And, you know, he was he worked all the time at public. So you kind of get to know all of the guys up there. And he was just such a sweetheart. I couldn't believe when that happened to him and to all the others. So I love that they're being honored this way. Yeah, I thought it was really cool that they're sort of honoring them with who is studying, honoring them with people that are studying the fields that they were interested in. I love that. And those are just a few of the incredible stories we have to share for April. Um, what about this weekend? What are you doing this weekend? Well, there's a lot going on this weekend. There's I can't decide if I'm going to go to College Park Spark or sip into spring. Well, you can go to both because they're close by. Um, so this Saturday on the 27th, College Park is having College Park Spark, where the um, businesses and restaurants stay open a little bit later on Saturday night, and they're open the stores are staying open later, so the event goes till 9 o'clock from 5 to 9. They're going to have a trolley taking people up and down Edgewater Drive, um, going shop to shop. There's going to be musicians kind of up and down the drive, vendors in the park. And they've done this before, right? This is the second. They have. It's just a great way to try to get people out to the businesses um, because, you know, we've talked about this before. They can't hold their large street parties, their, their big events right now. So. Um, it's just a way to kind of get the neighborhood out supporting the local businesses in a safe way. And you can, for $5, pitch, um, purchase a wristband. And a lot of the restaurants and stores are having specials just for that one night. 
like Rustique, for example, they are, if you have the wristband, you can get a free Spark cocktail if you spend $10. And there's going to be a bunch of vendors out there. Tons of vendors. I heard that Logs Art Cabin is making a... I hope so, because she has amazing (laughs) art. Um, And like Bijou's Boutique, 20% off their regular price items. They'll give you a glass of wine. That's a free event. Um, the $5 wristband is optional. And then in Ivanhoe Village, just down the street on the same night, they're having sip into spring. Um, Tim's Wine Market is providing red and white wine to 20 businesses um, in Ivanhoe Village. And so you can go online and purchase tickets for $50 at IvanhoeVillage.org. What and, a good idea to, yeah. to have one wine place offer wine at all these other businesses a win-win for both exactly so they've done this before too something similar um so again just a great way to get out and get to know some of the businesses that you maybe you haven't been in before and you can go on their website and they have a whole list of who's participating so if the weather stays like it is then i will see you out there it's going to be a great weekend thank you for listening to the community podcast Did you like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends and family to do the same. Stay up to date on the latest news from the community paper by visiting yourcommunitypaper.com and follow them on social media. The show is produced by Nick Giorgudio. Learn more about starting your own podcast by visiting orlandopodcasting.com. This is cool. It make you now. You, it sounds like we're on the on the radio. Whoa, on the radio. <laughs>